Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progressive Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so it is an officially um, a little bit past uh, the beginning of summer in Washington. Uh, although looking out the window right now, it certainly doesn't look like summer. It's raining, uh, raining kind of heavy right now. I'd say even though it's supposed to be summer, it seems like spring has officially started because it is really beautiful with the, the little deer out and the flowers are blooming and, and and I think it'll clear up a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. we I was sent you a, uh, I, you know you know that I sent you the picture you saw it, but um, for the listeners I was sitting here you are upstairs and I was uh, looking out the window and I saw a female deer uh, and uh, and then she you know just took a picture of it and you know that's great the deer walk through the yard all the time and then she moved and there's a little literally like a little fawn or a little bambi right next to her and kind of following along and she had the little white spots on the side and they're uh, eating you know eating little weeds in the yard and they walked over to the little garden over there and ate some things out of the garden I was pop. so happy to see that picture because I saw that little fawn a cup I think I want to say like a couple of weeks ago, right after it was just born with its mom walking through the driveway. And, and then I didn't see them again. And then I thought, oh, well, I hope little baby's still okay. So it's really neat to see him or her a little bit bigger with those little white spots on the bum. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway. that, that was, that was <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, it's, we don't see the deer hardly at all winter long. Uh, and then it seems like June, I remember, you know, um, where we live now, we moved in here like last year. And June came literally like June 1st and all of a sudden the deer came almost every day. We're having deer come through the yard. Uh, and sure enough, you know, here's June again. I don't know where they go. Only because we don't cover up our garden beds. So we basically are growing a garden to feed deer, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which uh, is fine. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That, that's, need to eat. That's, all, that's all right. Make sure the little one gets a, you know, gets a meal here, here and there. Uh, so on today' we're episode we're going to talk about thyroid. Uh, you know these you know this is a question. This isn't actually, you know, uh, a specific question from somebody, but it is something that comes up all the time uh, that we get answer or, you know, people send us questions. So we just thought we would kind of do this in a little bit more of a, uh, if you're curious or if you're wondering about your thyroid uh, or if you, you know, if you already have a thyroid problem, some of these things that we're going to talk about will make some sense. And this is really based on our experience. This is not, you know, something from, you know, uh, you know, Google or anything like that, or any of the websites. This is just from our experience and what we've noticed that uh, uh, depending on their lab work and all that uh, clinical data, these are the situations and the symptoms that tend to improve once they've been on the, on the right uh, medication for them. Exactly. Cause you know, gosh, we've been in practice since you were 2003 and I'm 2004 and me being a female, I've mainly worked with females. So when it comes to thyroid, I have a lot of women, you know, wondering about their thyroid, wondering, well, what are the symptoms of thyroid? Because my conventional doctor just tells me, you know, it's about being tired and looking at my lab work when really there are so many other symptoms involved with having a lower thyroid or having lower thyroid function or hypothyroidism with women that sometimes people don't really connect. 
Yeah, right. There's uh, you know, there's some basic ones. Of certainly, we're going to talk a little bit about weight gain. Certainly, you said being tired. Maybe the third one would be constipation. Not uh, even constipation. A lot of people aren't even aware that constipation is an issue with hypothyroid with females. Not so much that I notice with the men, but you know, like I said, with our own experience, I probably have seen more women than men. But um, if you want to just jump right into it, I'd say constipation is one that people just look at you kind of, you know, starry-eyed when you ask them, well, how are your bowels? And they, and the women say, well, I have a bell movement, you know, every other day or twice a week, or it just doesn't feel complete. That really can have an, you know, can be impacted from a low thyroid. Yeah, right. Well, if you think about it, the thyroid, uh, you know, really the thyroid kind of controls everything. It has an impact. It's one of those major metabolic hormones that has an impact on every functioning system in the body. Uh, So if your thyroid is a little bit under-functioning, then, you know, the potential, as we're going to talk about the list, uh, you know, that's going to have an impact on how you feel and how everything else functions. So when you think of it in that context, it would make sense that, uh, and certainly you look at some of the textbooks that constipation is certainly on the list, but I think you're right. I think that nowadays when it comes to thyroid in general, uh, if your TSH is normal, then, uh, then nothing, nothing can be related to your thyroid. If your TSH is below uh, 4.5. And I don't really agree with that whatsoever. I think there's a limitation to the testing uh, because we see it all the time. We see people that have, you know, reasonable numbers, you know, kind of high normal TSH, but they have a whole list of hypothyroid symptoms. Uh, And I think the testing a lot of times, you know, people, they go underdiagnosed and all, you know, uh, happens on a regular basis. I mean, wonderfully, there are more, you know, online forums, more blogs, more videos, more books written about thyroid. And so I'm glad that it's a real talking piece in the last few years, but you're right. Conventionally, you know, they're just looking at medication and your levels. And, and unfortunately with women, because I do think with low thyroid, women have not the typical, I don't want to say not the typical, but they're not common signs that you would kind of relate with, with thyroid when you're looking at women and trying to, you know, work on their thyroid function because we have so many other hormones going on in our bodies. Yes, we are complicated, but we're so worth it. But we have so many other hormones going on in our bodies that when that thyroid function is starting to drop, you'll see manifestations in the female reproductive system. You'll see other manifestations that you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, you know what? That's coming upstream from the thyroid. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, med- uh, medicine in general has, you know, as it's always been, is very reductionistic. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think thyroid is kind of looked at even though it is very complex uh, and it affects, you know, as I said, pretty much every, you know, every aspect of your being in some, in, in some ways uh, is looked at in a very kind of narrow, uh, you know, a narrow, I don't even know, a narrow lens, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, if you're, even if you have all the symptoms we're going to talk about, and a lot of women we deal with, maybe that's why they, you know, they eventually find us because we've heard the stories over and over. People go to doctor after doctor, uh, knowing that there's something wrong with them. They know how they feel, but again, if their TSH is below point four point five, like, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, the patient always knows before the doctor does. Uh, and uh, nowadays, our philosophy has always been to treat the patient first, uh, the labs, the, the lab test second, uh, and in medicine, not just thyroid, but that's one that we see most often is that it's the lab tests first and the patient second. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't agree with that at all. So let's, yeah, let's jump into our list. But before we do, if any of you listeners hear kind of a weird, like clunky sound, and we've said this before, like a little clunky, clinky sound. It's our, our dog is having a great time putting his bone on top of the base of the table with his little dog hands wrapped around it. So 
He's having a great time. He's always at our feet. But if you hear that little clunky sound, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, like he's literally lay, laying. I'm sitting on a stool, and he's literally laying on one of my feet uh, as he's chewing on this bone over the side railing of the table. Uh, that's pretty typical. Uh, you know, if this is a video podcast, you could actually see him. You, you know, it would be really cute. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, if you hear a weird noise in the background, it's always, always him at our feet. Yep, always our dog, Bob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, let's just dive in. Uh, so again, this is a list that we kind of just, uh, actually fairly quickly just kind of ran through, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, when we did you know, research, if you want to call it that quote unquote, but you know, really, as we said, this is really just from clinical experience, uh, the things that we see over and over. So why don't we just, uh, start with the, the, maybe the most common one that is not just thyroid, but, um, certainly the thyroid can play a role in it if it's present. Yeah, like you said, uh, fatigue and weight gain. That's the first thing people think of when they think of thyroid. Whether it's females or males, fatigue and weight gain are definitely number one. Um, or I guess you could say one and two. But what I think is not noticed as much, because this is why this is fun to do this on the podcast, is to try to give you some pearls that would say, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a thyroid issue, especially in females. But with women, they'll notice it's not just weight gain, but it's like water weight and bloated. You know, they'll wake up, and be one, you know, one weight in the morning. And by the end of the day, you know, they're, they could be easily up, you know, between three and six pounds for really no dietary reason. Now, I don't think that that's related to the thyroid necessarily. I think you and I other could, aspects. Uh, yeah, you and I could beg to differ about that. You know, you're right. The weight, your weight is going to fluctuate day to day, you know, um, from one day to the next, it's going to bounce all over the place. So using that as a gauge, uh, I don't think is necessarily a valid point. But I do think it is, you know, an, you know, a, an important symptom to point out because oh, sure. yeah, yeah. everybody wants to fit in their pants at the end of the day. They don't want to have to go run off their stretchy pants or unbutton the top button. You know, I don't have actual numbers, but I'd say the average person probably gains casually from, you know, the time they're in high school or even in college until, you know, the time they're in their 40s. They probably gain really, I think, statistically like five pounds a year. They gain like 20 pounds by the time they get to their 20-year reunion, something like that. Uh, you know, so... Uh, a little bit of that weight gain is going to be year by year is going to be somewhat normal. But if if someone is putting on a, a large amount of weight in six months, uh, you know, something is going on there that is driving that extra amount of weight loss, especially if, you know, caloric intake does not necessarily meet that. Now, if you're, uh, you know, you're in COVID lockdown and you've been eating like crazy, which I know a lot of people have been doing, you might have put on some weight. Uh, but then once you, you know, we get out of lockdown you know, whatever. Now some of that weight should come right back off relatively easy. Um, but if you've seen this kind of, you know, in a, either a three, six, or even a 12 month time spend, a considerable amount of more weight than that, uh, the thyroid certainly does need to be, you know, need to be considered in that respect. Yeah. Cause that metabolic activity drops down. And then of course, if you're tired, the last thing you want to do is let's go work out or let's go exercise. Granted, we know a lot of people that force themselves to, and then are very, um, unhappy when they notice they're not losing weight. So definitely, you know, that weight gain and that fatigue. And like I mentioned, feeling puffy and bloated us, us girls, you know, we know when we're puffy, we're like, I feel puffy today. Why? Yeah. That can, you know, the thyroid does hold on to water. That's one, you know, one of the things when little babies are born with um, mixedema or their thyroid dysfunction, or they don't have a thyroid, 
not that common, but you know that you can find that in the history books of you know medical history books. These little babies come out of the womb, and their little faces are so puffy you can't even see their eyes. They're just it's just so puffy, and that's because you know of a thyroid issue. So you know that water weight and that puffiness is is truly does truly happen. And you're right, it can come from other issues. You know with your with your um, adrenals, with female hormones, where you are in your cycle. But you know that thyroid being low will put on some water weight. Yeah, now we could, you know, we could kind of parse out, you know, stress-related weight gain and in, in, uh, tiredness or fatigue, uh, thyroid-related weight gain and stress and fatigue, or, uh, you know, fatigue. But in reality, because the thyroid and the adrenals are you know, somewhat connected, you know, there's an access there between those two, uh, you can't really have one without the other. If you have a thyroid issue, you're going to have an adrenal issue and vice versa. And let's talk about 2020 so far. Uh, you know, it's been stressful. It's been a stressful year to say the least for every for the entire country. Uh, you know, so um, you know it's really hard to you know to relate both of those just to thyroid, but it is on the list of the things that you're going to see for sure. And while stress can make you lose your hair, having lower thyroid function will definitely cause hair loss, and that is a scary thing for for a lady. You know, you. We don't want, we don't want to lose our hair. It's scary. And what they notice is it's not so much, you know, androgen derived or like you would see with like male pattern baldness, but with a low thyroid, a woman will notice their hair is everywhere in it. I mean, they're terrified to wash their hair because there's just coming out, you know, coming out in handfuls and it, and what it is, is it's not breakage, but it's coming out at the root. So sometimes you can even see that little punctum on the end of the end of the hair shaft because it shouldn't, I mean, we're supposed to lose hair every day. That's common, but it definitely seems like an extraordinary amount of hair loss. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we hear that's a, a big complaint. We hear the, you know, the hair loss issues and really there's, you know, conventionally, there's not really a lot of good treatments for it. Uh, now it's funny they relate a lot of, in men, they re- relate a lot of hair loss to testosterone, but when do men lose their hair when they don't have any testosterone? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I don't think that for women, I think the androgen, certainly DHEA testosterone can drive some of that hair loss. But I think for men, it's a little bit more on the cortisol side than it is on the androgen side. Uh, Maybe if you're getting the genetic side, (laughs) yeah, and genetics too, of course. I mean, certainly it does get passed down. You see it kind of in the you know the family tree. You know, there's a certain yeah. Look at my dad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen I've never seen your grandfather, but does he have does he have hair? Um, he it wasn't on you know my dad's you know on the father's side. It was more on his like his his grandfather. So I Mm -hmm. guess you could say, um, my you know my grandmother's dad that you know came from the from the female side right, with, right, the, right. with the with the hair loss but definitely his brothers all my uncles yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah, yeah there's a little bit of a little bit of a trend there so mm-hmm. but yeah it came from you know it came from his his mother yeah. or my grandmother's side the yeah. maternal side something's going on my grandfather on my mom's side he, he was um you know i remember my dad had actually decent hair but my dad my grandfather on my mom's side actually had uh, hair kind of like your dad's. You had the had the crown around the middle, but well, you have gorgeous hair. You have lots of hair, and your mom and dad both have lots of hair. So nobody feels sorry for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, but hair loss is a is a tricky one. Certainly, the thyroid can play a big role there. Uh, again, it helps things grow. You start to notice uh, if you get the thyroid right that you start to get some of that undergrowth. You know, at the base of the, uh, you know, the scalp and that where the hair meet, uh, and that you know that. Uh, that can be very encouraging for someone that's been struggling with, you know, hair, hair loss issues. I've, we've had quite a few people that go to all these different hair specialists and they want to do in, inject steroids and do all these things. And I'm not really sure how effective some of those treatments really are. 
I think a lot of them are based for females more on those androgen derived. So doing the steroid injections into the scalp around the temples and the top of the head is supposed to downregulate that um, testosterone that might be accumulating in the follicles, they say. Um, same, you know, you know, a lot of doctors will say, well, just go, you know, wash your hair with Rogaine and, you know, and Rogaine does have an effect, but the thing is it only works when you're using it. If you stop using those, you know, hair loss formulas um, for shampoo and conditioning, then the hair just goes back to where it was originally. So the whole goal is to get that hair growth because in hypothyroidism, the hair follicle is not dead. You know, it's alive. It's just in some ways um, kind of dormant or that the hair doesn't want to stay in the follicle. So definitely like Dr. Mackey said is once we kind of get that thyroid balance, and balancing some hormones that hair does grow in and it's cute. They have, they get bangs, you know, cause it's growing in, you know, growing in around the hairline, you know, it's different lengths, but you, like you said, people are very encouraged by that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you get the thyroid functioning, right. You reduce some of the stress hormones. Uh, and for a female's case, get rid of some of the androgen. Certainly if they're, if she has PCOS, so she has higher testosterone, higher DHEA, you know, certainly that would want to be ad- addressed in some respect, you know, as well, but thyroid kind of uh, tends to be kind of a foundational piece to that process. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, next one, of course, we kind of mentioned it, constipation. Uh, it, you know, it used to be kind of on the list, uh, you know, of all the classic hypothyroid symptoms. Now I think it, uh, constipation kind of gets, maybe because it's really common, uh, you know, everyone is somewhat constipated to some, ex- uh, to some extent, uh, um, you know, or has some kind of digestive issues that it kind of gets reclassified as either as IBS or, you know, some other kind of digestive issue when sometimes it can just be a sluggish thyroid. Yeah. And you think, um, like you had mentioned earlier, the thyroid has a role in everything. So if things are moving well, you know, hey, things down south with the colon are moving well too, but if things are moving slowly, then you'll see that constipation. And then too, what I also noticed with hypothyroid, more so with females than men, is one of the amazing things about the large intestines or the colon is its ability to draw water out of the stool. So if I didn't have water around and so I wouldn't die from dehydration, it'll pull the water out of my stools to try to supply me with some hydration. Even though in hypothyroid, what you'll see is even though I'm down in the water, the colon for some reason still has an ability to do that, that it pulls the water out. And then that's why the stools end up being dry. So a lot of women with hypothyroid will complain, well, not only am I constipated, but it's almost like the stool is, sorry if this is too much TMI, but like rabbit pellets, you know, they're hard and they're dry. And that's because of that dehydration. So working on the thyroid is, is great. And we've got a lot, you know, there are so many other tricks and tools for constipation because it is really common in females just in general. Yeah. 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 You don't see her too many men that have, you know, constipation problems. No, you don't. (laughs) um, A lot of women have that problem. I think the liver, I think liver function plays a big role in that. And we'll, we can expand on constipation later. We could talk about it. I could talk about it forever because it's so it's, you know, so important. Yeah, yeah, right. You I know mean, you're an adult when you want to go to the bathroom every day. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I when I was a little uh, growing up in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, I had a lot of older relatives, and they're always talking about, you know, Auntie Vivi and Auntie Fanny and Auntie Helen and all these people. They're always talking about their bowel movements. You know, it's just like, geez, really? You know, and, and their whole day was ruined if they didn't have a bowel movement. But, you know, they were, at that time, I was, you know, a little boy. They were probably already in their 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, so they were, you know, definitely you know, considered to be now by today's standards, some of them would not be considered elderly, right? We have patients that are in their seventies and eighties that are just amazing, still um, working and still doing some, you know, um, you know, living a very active lifestyle. 
uh, when we, you and I were little, you know, 70 and 80 was, you know, they were considered old people at that point. I mean, they were definitely geriatric. Uh, and that's just kind of what, you know, what they talked about. They all had prune juice in the fridge and, uh, you know, uh, some of those little, uh, little tricks they needed because it all revolved their whole day in some ways revolved around going to the bathroom. Uh, and it was not, you know, you know, it was not easy. Sometimes it was a little, a little bit of a, a miracle or a, you know, a, a happy day when those, when those things happen. Well, I'd say it's it's a happy day for those of us not in the 60s or 70s or 80s to have a bowel movement. Well, well sure, but it was just something that I noticed, you know, when I was when I was little, that it was just this, uh, you know, they'd all be sitting around and crocheting and knitting and, you know, doing all their things. And, you know, that was the topic of conversation. I mean, maybe not like the entire conversation, but they would certainly be uh, sharing their little tricks and tips and, you know, what would work. And, uh, you know, um, it just, it, kind of, it was kind of like a running joke, so to speak, but they're always talking about it for sure. Well, you see my parents, they're at between 70 and 80 and they don't stop. They go everywhere. They're yeah, like, right. So, they, so they run circles around me. Yeah, right. So comparing your parents to, to when I was little, uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a striking contrast. Uh, and really, I think that's the, 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 uh, the good thing about their quality of life in America is that, you know, we're, we're kind of pushing back that envelope. You know, life is a lot, we have a lot more conveniences, uh, and now the aging process doesn't, you know, it doesn't hit us as hard as it used to. Uh, you know, I think that's good. I think that's uh, what we're all trying to do is live as a really high quality of life for as long as possible, uh, you know, and not have the, we're not, you know, we're not really old for 30 or 40 years. We, you know, we're robust and vital and healthy for as long as possible. All right. So, Moving on to some more symptoms. So one thing that a lot of people really aren't aware of, especially with females with low thyroid function, is their periods. Women that have hypothyroid or a low thyroid function, they actually will have heavier periods, longer periods, which then makes them more crampier and painful periods. But um, that is one thing that a lot of people don't really try to, you know, kind of talk about. I mean, granted, having heavy periods can run in the genetics, like, hey, you know, my mom had heavy periods, la la la. But a lot of times, once you can work on that thyroid, get that thyroid level to an optimal level, you'll notice that the periods aren't quite as heavy, you know, and there's, and everyone always says, you know, day two and day three are usually the heaviest when you're having your period. I mean, I have some women, they, you know, don't leave the house without, you know, wearing white, you know, don't go on a road trip, you know, go make sure you know where the bathroom is for every hour. So it is really, you know, really great for a quality of life for a female to be able to work on their thyroid, get it in optimal ranges, and then make those periods be tolerable as opposed to, you know, all the different conventional medications, birth control pills and all that jazz for trying to work on, or hysterectomies for trying to work on heavy periods, because it's a symptom. Hey, someone's having heavy periods, Sure, there might be a genetic component to it, but let's look into it a little bit deeper to find out why are they so heavy. Yeah, sure. It could be a progesterone problem. Uh, stress, uh, really high stress. It seems like it always affects the female cycle. Uh, and there's some actual pathways and how that is. We don't need to get into that. But um, certainly, just like we said, as you improve thyroid function, then everything tends to get better. And that's something that we've seen time and time again, that, uh, you know, once their thyroid's optimized, their, you know, their, their periods kind of fall back into alignment and they, you know, they kind of ease out a little bit. Uh, another one that you would not necessarily connect the low libido, um, libido for a woman is, well, um, you should be talking about that. I mean, that's a really, that's a really, talk about it. That's too. a really, it's a really, it's a really complicated one just in general, right? There's not really any, you know, any conventional treatments for that at all. Like oh. there is, like there is for men. There, yeah, female libido is truly complicated. I wish it were easy, but it's not. It's really more the collection or the balance of hormones. But I do find with 
lower thyroid, there is a low libido. It has an effect on the female hormones. So, um, thyroid is always upstream from the reproductive hormones. So when thyroid's off, then you can see those reproductive hormones off like the estrogen and progesterone, like Dr. Mackey had mentioned about the progesterone, which then can contribute to the heavier periods. So there's a lot of aspects with that. But also too, I think, you know, with thyroid, you know, women are tired and we have a lot to do. We have a lot to do 24 seven that by the end of the day, they're just tired. They'd rather go to bed than have sex. Yeah, sure. Well, the stress level, just like we talked about with the weight gain and some of the uh, fatigue and lethargy, certainly stress, which again, as we said, kind of uh, the thyroid and the adrenals are kind of connected in that respect. Uh, the higher their stress, the lower, the lower the libido is, uh, you know, in, you know, almost across the board. Uh, you know, like I said, women are busy. They're, t- t- they're working, they're taking care of the kids, they're taking care of the house. They're, you know, they're trying to do it all. Uh, and the last thing that's on their mind at that point literally is, you know, more having, work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, any kind of sex drive of any sort. So. And then too, we'll talk about it a little bit as well as thyroid has an effect on your mood. So if your mood isn't great, the last thing you want to do is, you know, have fun and, you know, fun in the sack. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mood, definitely. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, definitely a correlation between, you know, uh, maybe not clinical depression, but certainly a depressed, you know, depressed state, a lower mood, a little melancholy, you know, kind of like, you know, the sky's a little bit, you know, cloudy and gray all the time. Uh, thyroid kind of help kind of uplift that a little bit when it gets optimized for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. If you want to go ahead and jump right down the list to the low mood, low mood is like one of the biggest things I see with hypothyroid that people aren't aware of. You know, I don't want to, you know, jump into all the different clinical words and depression and all that jazz, but definitely that lower mood people, they're sad. They can be sad. They're still doing everything they need to do and they get things done, but they can be sad, which that's a huge impact on that, you know, with that with that mood. And I don't think it has to do necessarily with energy because when you're tired and you're sure your mood might not be great, but a lot of times once you get that thyroid up, especially that free T3, their mood is so much better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not, uh, again, you know, we don't, follow a TSH. We're not even really, I mean, we're concerned about TSH. We, you know, we do test it, but really it comes down to that free T3 level. That is the active hormone, the active thyroid hormone, the T4, um, which is what most of the conventional medications are. Really the body doesn't do anything with it except convert it to T3. T3 is where, um, the attention needs to be put. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, uh, doesn't really happen on the conventional side very much, but, uh, you know, there is some research to support, you, you know, that, between T3 and mood, uh, that there is, uh, there is a definitely a correlation between those two. Uh, now again, we could make that correlation between low mood and stress. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a theme there that those two are definitely are intertwined and just, you know, like we said, you know, going from low libido to low mood, uh, as you said too, those things are definitely related. You're, the lower your mood, the lower your libido, um, what's the common denominator there? Uh, of course it's kind of the busy, stressful, fast, fast paced society. And now we're you know, some of our emotions are kind of blunted in that respect. And we just maybe have a, a little bit of a flatter affect or just don't have the emotional up and down that is normal, right? We're supposed to have highs and lows, but just making sure that those highs and lows are are uh, positive highs and lows, if there is such a thing as a positive low, uh, you know, so you're not too high, you're not too low, and you're actually able to, you know, find some joy on a daily basis. Yeah, and we're not saying, you know, the thyroid is you know, com- completely compartmentalized. Like when you're treating somebody with the thyroid, we definitely want to look at what you had been talking about with stress in the adrenal glands. We're looking at the reproductive hormones. We're looking at the neurohormones. But definitely on, you know, if I were to kind of just kind of give a broad statement is 
that when I see low levels of free T3, you know, low, um, low thyroid function, that mood is impacted. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, uh, the, the kind of the, you know, if you're saying someone's depressed, the one thing that goes along with the depression a lot is anxiety. Uh, depression, anxiety, kind of like brother and sister, you know, they kind of, they kind of run together in some spe- in some respects. You have one, you're going to have the other. Uh, and anxiety, certainly we see that a lot in the Hashimoto's people, um, the ones that actually have the antibodies, the anti-TPO, the anti-thyroglobin, the a- anxiety tends to kind of rear its head a lot. And that can be one of those, uh, you know, kind of key symptoms that people notice um, when they, you know, when they have a thyroid problem. And anxiety, you wouldn't really picture to go along with hypothyroid. You think, oh, well, maybe hyperthyroid, they would be anxious, but hypo, aren't they just tired and lethargic? But I do find that, and I don't want to call, you know, label it anxiety, but there is this angst or this wound up, stressed out feeling when you have this incongruency of the things you need to do in the day and the energy that you have to expend for that is less. So there's like, you know, I'm, they know they're just not going to get what needs to get done today. And it creates this level of angst that always seems to be perpetuating around. So a lot of times when you can raise their energy and they feel better then that anxiety or that stress level does drop down. Yeah. That, uh, that's something that, um, you know, that in some ways that becomes that anxiety becomes almost like a barometer. Like they can kind of tell where things are, uh, and they, you know, they can kind of navigate and manage their stress level based on that. Um, what exacerbates it, what makes it better. Uh, you know, all those things. Uh, and you're right, that's something that you wouldn't, uh, and we're not really big fans of anti-anxiety medications mm-hmm. at all. No um, there's a, you know, that's in some ways, it's kind of like a rule that the last thing we would ever do, not that we prescribe those things anyways, but we just, you know, basically talking about benzodiazepines, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is prescribe something like that for someone that actually has anxiety, even though that's what they're intended for. Um, it only causes With the thyroid. Cause really it's about the thyroid, um, you At know, least in this context, in, this, yeah, in yeah. this context, that's why I didn't want to label it "quote unquote" anxiety. But you see that level when it comes to somebody when you're when their thyroid's low. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. Uh, so moving on, uh, the other ones that th- these are again going back to female issues. Um, certainly, fertility. Uh, you know, if a, a woman's having a hard time conceiving. Uh, certainly the thyroid has, has to be optimized. A lot of times, you know, I know that we've seen it with some of our patients, you know, we co-manage them with, you know, with uh, OBGYNs, that they're concerned about that um, once the once the, uh, the woman is already pregnant. They want to make sure that TSH stays low. Uh, they're very concerned about thyroid function. Uh, maybe not in exactly the same way that we are. You know, they don't look exactly at the same numbers, but they are certainly concerned about that. Uh, you know, but we, you know, if a woman's trying to get pregnant, let's say maybe she's got PCOS or something, part of increasing her, you know, her fertility is optimizing that thyroid. Oh, absolutely. When you have that thyroid optimized, it's great for helping with ovulation. It helps with the female reproductive hormones, particularly the progesterone. And then on that flip side, like Dr. Mackey had mentioned, yes, there. once somebody is pregnant, your OBGYN is very concerned about your thyroid. And, and rightly so, because when your thyroid's low, being pregnant it actually increases up your risk of miscarriage, mainly more in that first trimester before the um, before the placenta implants and then your hormones are going skyrocketing. But usually in that first beginning part, especially even up to week 10 is, you know, that's, I think I'm, I'm, I'm super, you know, concerned about making sure that that thyroid and 
is level is optimal in the very beginning part of pregnancy. I always say, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you let me know because I'm going to make sure that those levels are good and that we're optimizing that thyroid because of that. Because yeah, low thyroid does increase up the risk for for miscarriage. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not a, a fun process. Oh, no, it's uh, yeah, you, terrible. It's yeah, yeah. devastating. Uh, and especially if they have a history going in, then we're going to take even more, you know, um, you know, more, make sure there's more attention to make sure that that thyroid stays, stays that way prior to, and then immediately, like you say, once they, once they find out. Uh, and those are the things that, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you know, really pay a lot of attention to because it's, you know, considered to be a female issue. Um, but you know, in our experience, uh, improving uh, fertility and thyroid in some ways, they kind of go hand in hand. It's almost like one of those things that just needs to be done. And for whatever reason, it seems like the ones that are having trouble on the, on the, uh, fertility side, uh, they always have underfunctioning thyroids, you know, so there's definitely a, you know, a correlation there. It's not just magic or we made it up, but you know, there's, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we haven't uh, looked at, you know, really dove into any of the literature. Uh, you know, it's more from observation and clinical practice, but, uh, I don't know how many times people have had a really tough time getting pregnant and then they, you know, six months, nine months, and they're like, Oh, I'm pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always a, always very, very nice when that mm-hmm. happens. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a joyful time. That's um, always wonderful to hear that. And then, of course, um, kind of moving on a little bit is the uh, dry skin. People complain. Women, I mean, it happens to all humans, but us ladies are more concerned about, you know, dry skin. But with um, cellular turnover, you know, the thyroid has such an impact on our cells turning over. So you think about our epithelial cells or our skin cells, It that turnover process can really be kind of in some ways degraded. So you'll see a lot of dry skin. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, nails too, but mainly the skin. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You can see changes to the nails. Uh, Certainly the nails maybe not grow or they're not as hard Uh, that, you know, where the hair come in because the hair and nails are pretty much kind of the, you know, the same tissue for the most part. Uh, You know, the skin on the lower limbs on the, um, like on your shins and stuff, having, uh, uh, you know, almost like if you brush the skin and, you know, you get this kind of, you know, flakiness that comes off. If you're wearing black and you take off some black leggings and then there's skin, you know, white skin flakes all over it. Yeah. I- some of that is some of that is normal, like the dust in the house, right? You know, dust in your house. A lot of or that winter. is is skin, mm-hmm, you know, uh, or you dry. Know. You know, living in the Southwest or Midwest winter, or you, you know, the low humidity. But definitely, skin. You know, dry skin is is really common with low thyroid. Sure. So yeah, I wouldn't yeah. rule it out. Oh no, no, I'm not saying rule it out. But you're not going to make a diagnosis of someone with hypothyroid just on that. Usually, they're, yeah. if they have a thyroid issue, they're going to have a few other things besides just dry skin. Um, but certainly, if they have some of the other things we talked about and the dry skin. Now it's, you know, you have this complete picture of what really is going on. You can make an accurate diagnosis that way. Uh, now this is also a little bit more, um, uh, what would you say? Uh, uh, function, yeah, objective, yeah, yeah, functional, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily, you know, you're not going to, you know, bring uh, endocrinologist body temperatures, but, you know, certainly looking at bo- core body temperature, uh, you know, there's some protocols on how to take your temperature in the morning. And if it's consistently low, uh, you know, in some ways that body temperature, uh, 98.6 is normal, right? So if you're always running a little bit lower than that, you know, uh, that can indicate a underfunctioning thyroid as well. And I think it's kind of an interesting, you know, symptom or aspect, or even in some ways, objective data to take your temperature. Cause with, you know, hypothyroid, they always say, oh yeah, they're, you know, they're cold or, you know, they have a little body temperature and then they just blow it off and say, Hey, wear a sweater because, you know, 
being cold isn't going to kill you. It's not a disease, but it's something to take into consideration saying, Hey, you know, my, my body temp is running always a little bit low, or I'm always the coldest one in the room. It's one way that at least you can say, maybe I should look at some of these other symptoms that I wasn't aware of. And that way, like you said, putting it all together, it's not like one symptom. I'm going to treat someone's thyroid because they have, you know, dry flaky skin, but putting all the symptoms together, give you kind of a picture of what direction you want to go in. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Some of them might be a little bit, you know, ambiguous or a little bit convoluted, but then there are some other symptoms that people have. It's just classic, Uh, you know, and I don't, uh, to be honest, you and I see the testing all the time. I don't trust the testing sometimes. I really don't. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, the numbers are there, um, but you know their numbers will come back a certain way, and they clearly have all these things going on. Um, but yet, you know, just because their TSH is under four point five and they're technically not hypothyroid, I just you know, I, again, you have to do it from a clinical perspective and lab testing. It can't be one or the other. It has to be not in every case, but you know, if someone's got a TSH of seventeen, it's pretty obvious. But uh, you know, a lot of times it has to be using both. Uh, parts of that information. You have to use the subjective along with the objective information. Um, subjective is the patient's complaints. The objective is data, labs or you know, diagnostic imaging or some kind of testing of some sort to really be able to, you know, to do that effectively. Uh, and I think that um, you know, conventionally it relies more on the, uh, the, the objective than it is on the subjective. Uh, now, uh, this one, uh, uh, so a, a little story about that. So when I was in college, actually, back in Duluth, we had a really great physiology teacher. His name was Dr. Cisadlo. They call him Dr. Dr. C. Uh, and he used to teach all the anatomy physiology classes, all the pathophysiology. And this guy was just, he was like a biker, right? He had long hair. He used to wear Harley Davidson t-shirts or sweatshirts all the time and big biker boots. Uh, and it was a, you know, it was like a private Catholic school in, you know, in uh, Northern Minnesota. Uh, he didn't really fit the mold necessarily, but he was just an amazing teacher. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he was talking about thyroid function and uh, that the army used to do some studies on body temperature uh, and they would put, you know, soldiers in cold weather to try to stimulate thyroid because the, th- the thyroid is very sensitive to body temperature. And if you think about it on an annual basis, um, our, you know, our temperature in our environment is really the same all the time. Whether we're, you know, in the summertime or in the wintertime, our temperature that we're exposed to doesn't really change that much. So actually when I was, you know, uh, in college at the time, I was probably what my early, you know, late teens, early twenties. And I used to, you know, Minnesota, I used to like try to go as long as I could in the winter, you know, or the fall into the winter without wearing a jacket so I could stimulate thyroid function. Now I never did any testing around it because it wasn't really available back then, uh, but it would have been in- interesting to see. Uh, and sometimes I get into like November with no jacket, it'd be, you know, lower, you know, 30 degrees or less and I wouldn't have a jacket on because I was trying to, you know, do what he said in class and trying to stimulate my thyroid function. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. growing up in Washington with our temperate, temperate um, weather, I'm wear a jacket in November. I don't know. <laughs> well, now that we lived in uh, Las, well, now we lived in Las Vegas for so long. And what would happen when I did that come January, February, when the temperatures got really cold and, you know, I was never really that cold. I mean, I never really uh, had that bone chill cold where now people, it'll be, you know, even in Washington where it's pretty mild for the most part and people are freezing all the time. Uh, but when we lived in Vegas, we kind of, you know, we got reacclimated to, you know, now I can't tolerate, I probably could now we've been in Washington for a little bit. So now I don't think you could tolerate your hometown up in you know in the midwest that gets well, cold <laughs> well yeah i mean if we were there for a little while we certainly could but you're right your body does you know adapt and i i would i would imagine if we mapped out thyroid issues there would be probably proportionally 
you know, and I'm sure this, I think I've heard this somewhere that there's more proportionally more hypothyroid in the Southwest in the warmer climates than there is in those cold climates because of the weather change. Uh, you know, I think there's something to that. That's where I think even like cryotherapy, hydrotherapy, using hot and cold saunas and, you know, cold soaks, I think you can stimulate thyroid function that way because of the contrast, that cold temperature taking an ice bath. I don't know if anyone's ever taken an ice bath before, but holy moly, talk about invigorating or, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of saunas. You know, the rule is always after the sauna is you have to, you know, take a cold shower, not a warm shower, not a lukewarm shower, but a cold shower. Uh, and that contrast, it gets your heart racing, your breathing increases. And I guarantee you that that's having an impact on thyroid. We could probably go find some studies um, that would actually say exactly that thing that TSH levels are going to go down because of that contrast in temperature. And, you know, in our society, because of houses and furnaces and, you know, ways to heat ourselves, uh, you know, or cool us off. We don't really have that temperature fluctuation like we used to. Well, then I think we should definitely go outside without jackets on. Granted, it's July, but it is kind of cold out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's a little nerdy, but, you know, hey, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, he was a really good teacher. Uh, I think he's still teaching there. He teaches the nurses and he teaches at the medical school and pre-med and all that kind of stuff. He was a, he was a really, really good teacher. Uh, You know, that's kind of what you know, where all this uh, nerdy science stuff came from because he was he was really that good. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, but that was just a little digression where I kind of learned about thyroid even well before you and I were, you know, doing anything uh, medicine related. Uh, another one that uh, this one is kind of known about, at least on the doctor side, maybe not so much on the patient side, is uh, high cholesterol. Oh, yeah, absolutely. High cholesterol. In fact, more so. Um, so with cholesterol, you have your total cholesterol, you have your HDLs, your good cholesterol, your LDLs your bad cholesterol, the lower the better, and then your triglycerides. What I notice with um, thyroid is when you optimize someone's thyroid, and sure, they might be feeling better, so they're not eating the comfort food or whatnot, but they their cholesterol does go down, particularly I notice more the triglycerides than the LDLs, but it all overall, the LDLs and the triglycerides go down, but I notice the triglycerides go down much more significantly than the LDLs. Yeah, and I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion, I think, about cholesterol. Um, we've been doing some... Uh, CT uh, coronary calcium scores lately, particularly when people that are having these abnormally high cholesterol levels. Uh, and a coronary calcium score um, basically uh, looks at the plaque formation in your coronary arteries. And using that as a way to look at someone's cholesterol levels to say, is this you know, are they, uh, you know, do they need, uh, you know, lipid management or cholesterol management uh, and using a CT uh, a score like that, coronary calcium score to kind of help make that decision. And time and time again, I've had a couple of carnivore patients doing the carnivore diet, their cholesterols are off the chart, but they have these CT scores come back and they virtually have no atherosclerosis whatsoever, even though like their cholesterols are in the high 300s, the low 400s, which if we listen to conventional advice, that'd be super dangerous and they should have, you know, plaque in their arteries all over the place. And they really don't. Now that's not every case. I've seen it the opposite way where someone has actually good numbers, good cholesterol, don't need any lipid management. And now there's their uh, cholesterol scores are off their, their CT scores are off the chart. Uh, you know, and then I've seen some that would kind of, you know, they got high numbers and high score, low numbers, low score. Uh, so you see kind of a few different profiles there, but there's no real rhyme or reason to it. You can't predict based on someone's cholesterol who has, this is the part that I think the people need to be aware of. You cannot predict based on their cholesterol who has the higher, the higher the score, the worse it is. You can't predict based on their cholesterol who's going to have the plaques, uh, worse plaque score than who doesn't. Um, that's where I think the disconnect is. So I think that, you know, the, you know, 
the, uh, the argument or the claim for using statin therapy or lipid management in general, I think is going to change a lot over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, if not in the next, you know, few years, because there's this discrepancy, especially with this new imaging uh, type of study. Well, I would never hang my hat on cholesterol being the marker for a cardiovascular event or cardiovascular risk. But, um, I, you know, definitely you, I'll have patients that maybe decided they didn't want to take their thyroid anymore. And then, hey, I can do without it. Or maybe they forgot to take their thyroid medication or ran out or something, and then we'll run their blood work and I'll see their cholesterol go up. And I'll say that, I'll say, I, I didn't change my eating. And I'll say that was because you, you know, your thyroid went up. So you definitely see that, that clear correlation. Like I said, more so I find between the triglycerides and thyroid, but you're right. We would never, I mean, I cholesterol is just one marker to look at when you're looking at any kind of, you know, objective value. I would never, you know, base that on any kind of, you know, risk for future cardiovascular events. Yeah, but everyone's been kind of led to believe, even doctors believe if your cholesterol is over 200, it needs to come down. And I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case at all. I think you cannot, like you said, you cannot base that decision um, on that one number. If you're you know, total cholesterol is 225 or 250 or 275, uh, you know, is that really enough to, you know, put somebody on, on a statin drug? Uh, and I don't really, I don't really think that it is. I think there needs to be more information than that because the correlation between that and having a heart attack or having a stroke, the correlation is not very good. Uh, and these CT uh, uh, scans that I've been having patients do lately, you know, it's kind of proving that out and there's no, it's almost random. You can't, you know, you can't tell between the two. And I think that, you know, creates a little confusion. Uh, All right. So. And yeah. And before we, you know, finish up here, I definitely want to talk about joint pain and thyroid. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I know if you Google, you know, hypothyroid, you'll see muscle weakness, um, pain, but really, um, I don't think um, doctors really kind of correlate that, that low thyroid really truly causes joint pain. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I know that we've seen it happen kind of in the reverse way. Like someone doesn't take their thyroid medication, all of a sudden they're, you know, they get this kind of bone fatigue, they just kind of get bone tired and it hurts, uh, you know, and they go back on their medication and, uh, you know, their, you know, their osteoarthritis or whatever their joint pain was, uh, it just kind of miraculously goes away. And that's the interesting thing about the joint pain and hypothyroid or low functioning thyroid is it's not really osteoarthritis. Right, it's right. more like, hey, I just, I'm just achy. Like my shoulders are hurt my, my neck. And then a different day, you know, my hips and my, my, um, my low back is kind of achy. I just feel achy. And it definitely is the joints, you know, all my wrists. I don't know why I didn't do anything, but it's just achy and it moves around as opposed to, you know, with osteoarthritis, you're looking at their, you know, the little parts of their joints and they're enlarged or they're, are you, or they're hurting or they're red or, you know, osteoarthritis in the hip, it's going to be there every time you get up and you move where it's with low thyroid, it creates that kind of joint irritation. I don't think it's really so much inflammation. It's probably a combination between the muscles and the nerve, you know, the innervations, but it's really is that achiness. And when you get that thyroid optimized, they, they really feel, feel good. Yeah, sure. Yeah, their uh, their pain their pain level or their discomfort. Uh, you know, like I said, you and I are in our mid forties. Certainly, by the time you get to your forties, you definitely have some aches and pains. Certainly, a lot more you did when you're in your twenties and thirties, uh, and that maybe become maybe is a little progressive to some extent. Um, but you're right; it's just kind of like this. Uh, and I've noticed it in patients, not so much beforehand, but really when they stop it for some reason or they run out, and all of a sudden that's you know that uh, you know that discomfort kind of comes roaring back and. Uh, you know, kind of gives them a good, uh, you know, a good reference point to say, hey, you know, um, my thyroid, you know, 
this is important and uh, you know that's not fun to live with you know pain on a daily basis and we do a lot of supplementation with thyroid so you know when you're looking at optimizing thyroid like dr Mackey had mentioned earlier it's not just oh just one pill fits all here take some medication there's so many different types of medication there's so many different types of supplementation depending on someone's goals. So with all the lists that we went over here, you think somebody might have, you know, four out of all of them, and those are their main goals they want to work on. I have lots of patients with low thyroid, and they have no weight issues, but at, but at the same time, they have a very low mood, or their hair is falling out, and they have constipation, but they don't have any weight issues. I've I have other hypothyroid patients that actually have lots of energy, but they have really high cholesterol that kind of related to that low thyroid. They have joint pain. So, you know, everybody's a little bit different on how we manage and treat this. So it's not just medication. Like I said, supplementation, there's lifestyle, there's dietary, there's types of exercise. You know, there's so many different ways to kind of embrace working on optimizing someone's thyroid. Sure. Yeah. Even, uh, you know, we've talked about before, even caloric intake, you know, um, being on a perpetual diet, is going to lower your thyroid function. Uh, you know, so even some of the keto and, uh, uh, intermittent fasting, some of those things, people drop their calories too low and your thyroid function is going to go down. Uh, you know, so maintaining a, you know, appropriate amount of calories, not maybe not on a daily basis, but certainly over time. So you're not at a, at a chronic deficit for too long. Uh, you know, that can actually have a, 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 a major effect uh, because we, can't over supplement or sometimes over prescribe or whatever, um, a, a, you know, a diet that has, you know, too few calories in it that, you know, that becomes a really big deal. The thyroid is very sensitive to temperature and food. Um, that, you know, that's why I was telling the story about not wearing a jacket in Minnesota, you know, and, uh, you know, and certainly caloric intake, that's what the body is trying to protect us against sometimes. So, uh, this was kind of a long list. Uh, usually this, this one, uh, usually we're at about 30 minutes. This one's uh, running a little we long. We kind of got on some little tangents, but yeah, yeah. they were important. But we just wanted to let you, you know, let you all know that, you know, with this, with hypothyroid, there's so many other symptoms that come and play with it. And there's a lot of kind of symptoms you wouldn't expect, especially with females when you're trying to look into thyroid function, optimizing the thyroid and what goals we're going to have moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that uh, this gives everyone, if you're concerned or you're questioning or you're not really sure, you keep getting different answers, you looking on, uh, you know, different resources online, hopefully this will give you a little bit more insight as to, you know, what we see as the real common thyroid problems. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, you can uh, send us an email, uh, help at progressionhealth.com. Uh, check out our website, uh, progressionhealth.com. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.